Okay, let's cover the latest COVID headlines. Here is vaccine researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, who joins us once again here on Global News Radio. Doctor, good afternoon. Great to be back, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Always great having you. Uh, the U.S. has announced that they're going to roll out booster shots in just a matter of weeks, Dr. Gorfinkel. Why is a third shot necessary? I think many are wondering, is it indeed necessary? I think the world is wondering if it's necessary. So they've taken a step above and beyond even the CDC, that's the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the FDA has recommended. So they've decided that every single adult come September should be offered a booster shot. But understand what's going on in the US is very different than here in Canada. Firstly, they have a huge amount of vaccine hesitation. That almost goes without saying. You look at states like Arkansas and Florida. So overall, they have just over 50%. One half of their population has been fully vaccinated. And that's in comparison to 62% of our population here. I'm talking about total population. And that matters a lot because the individuals who are not getting vaccinated, of course, are at great risk of hospitalization and death. So they've decided, the Biden administration has decided that everyone, all adults, should be offered a third dose. And that goes against what the World Health Organization is advising, for now, against what their own Food and Drug Administration has advised, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Where is everybody on board? We're all on board when it comes to the severely immunosuppressed. For them, two doses is kind of like one dose for everybody else. There is no doubt that the people who are severely immunosuppressed, and by that, I mean people who are actively receiving chemotherapy, people who are receiving anti-rejection drugs for solid organ transplants, people who are on more than 20 milligrams of prednisone a day or severely immunosuppressed from untreated HIV infections. These are the individuals that everyone agrees needs a booster shot. But everybody else, what about if you're just older? What about if you're immunosuppressed from comorbid diseases like diabetes or cardiovascular disease? This is where a lot of heated debate comes in. And the World Health Organization reasonably asserts, wait a second, if you look at low-income countries, 1% of individuals in low-income countries have received just one dose. And why is that Canada's problem or the US's problem for that matter? Because when have not countries use the vaccines, they have fewer vaccines and therefore far more cases and therefore far more potential for variants. Yeah. And, and let's talk a bit about that, if we could, because there is criticism that these third shots, these boosters should be, as you just mentioned, be going to parts of the world that remain under or unvaccinated. Now, the U.S. is claiming that they are and they can do both. They can offer booster shots to their population and still be giving hundreds of millions of vaccines out worldwide. Uh, what is your take on all this? You know something, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing for them to have it in hand or an arm as it were. You know, so the delivery, there's a lot of talk, but there's just not enough action happening. We saw how rapidly the Delta variant came. Three months ago, it constituted 6% of Canada's cases. And what does it constitute now? 90%. So we see that Delta variant and other variants could do the very same thing. You know, as these 
lower income and even moderate income countries don't have enough vaccines to go around. It is very much Canada's problem. No, we cannot keep our doors closed to travel. And yes, people come from countries from all over the world. We pride ourselves on that. This is the world we live in. So in order to reduce our own caseload, we must view this as a global problem. All right. Having said that, do you think or do you believe that we could see a third a booster shot sometime uh, here in Canada? Will that be necessary? A booster shot may well become necessary. There is emerging data that would support the need for a booster shot in some individuals. However, that is, it's certainly not ready for prime time now. So what's the upshot on booster shots? We know that our current vaccines greatly reduce hospitalizations, greatly reduce deaths. Let's take a look at the Health Canada data itself. Deaths, 1.4% of the deaths are in those who are fully vaccinated. Think about this. Over 98% of the deaths are in those individuals who are not vaccinated at all or who are partially vaccinated. And when we break down those who did die who were fully vaccinated, what do you know? They have serious comorbidities, generally speaking, and 40% of them have severe immunocompromise. You know, so let's talk about hospitalization. Mega data, U.S. plus Canada. If you look at hospitalization, only 5% are coming from individuals who are fully vaccinated. So when it comes to getting severe disease, vaccines are working, and I can only be thankful for this, very, very well. You know, that's not true necessarily for future variants, but for Delta, that is true. So what are we talking about? We're talking about mild to moderate disease, and that's where the differences are. So we can see a difference in antibodies. They do decline over time. And in fact, if you look at the mega data that just came out of the UK, this is unbelievable. They looked at some 3 million people and they found that the neutralizing antibody level drops by 12 to 13% in just three months. So that's concerning. So the US has tons and tons of vaccines. So they say, how we may as well just go ahead and give them, give them as booster shots. But the World Health Organization is shaking its head vigorously at that decision. And I would have to agree with that. It's, it's, All right. it's really not a good thing. There's also some uh, concern. There's a new study out uh, that says that the Delta variant is actually a weakening protection from the Pfizer vaccine and AstraZeneca which seems concerning. Uh, what do we know about this? Yeah, so people are a little more likely to get mild to moderate disease. And when there are breakthrough infections, this is not true for everybody. This is only true for the breakthrough infections. The viral load in people, in other words, how much virus they carry in their nose, it's just as much as if somebody is not vaccinated at all. Hugely concerning. Because if you know there are just even a few more mild to moderate breakthrough infections in individuals who have been fully vaccinated. And it turns out that their viral load is just as high. And we know Delta, for every one virus that Alpha would have had, Delta has a thousand. Like Delta's, Delta's like the stealth bomber. What does it do? I mean, it, it not only has, divides way better, it gets into cells better. It destroys cells faster it's far more transmissible for those reasons. You know, so we cannot take for granted that, you know, fortunately, 
This is not true when it comes to death and hospitalization, but mild to moderate disease. Transmissibility is a huge problem. That's why it's important for even fully vaccinated people to wear masks, because if they have mild symptoms, and that happens to be a breakthrough infection, which is a little more likely over time, they'll be just as transmissible as somebody who is unvaccinated. Okay, let me bring this conversation full circle before we got to get a break. If Delta is weakening protection from the Pfizer and AstraZeneca vaccines, two vaccines that were used in abundance here in this country, in Canada, are we going to need again that booster and that third shot maybe sooner rather than later? Well, this is just it. Understand that the shots we use are the shots that other countries don't get. So this is a decision to be made at a higher level, but if we're to pay attention to the World Health Organization, leading epidemiologists and public health officials, we will give the vaccines away to countries that need them more than we do. The fact is, you can talk about a decrease in, in, you know, uh, in efficacy after three months. We know that there is a decline in antibodies. That does seem patently obvious at this point. However, we have yet to see if that translates into more hospitalizations. We know hospitalizations and severe illness tends to lag, but so far we do not see that signal in the data. And that's why Canada's lead public health officer, this is Dr. Teresa Tan. What did she say last week? Well, she just said, we don't have enough data on this to make that kind of a decision. And no, we should not be making the decision that boosters are ready for prime time for every adult in Canada. For now, we're hoping to see it being used in individuals with severe immunocompromise. So that group that I was talking about, individuals who have you know, untreated HIV or actively getting chemotherapy or on prednisone more than 20 milligrams a day and for patients with solid organ transplants. You know, should we give them to older folks who are in long-term care? You know, Ontario is talking about doing just that. And I think that's a reasonable decision as well. We cannot afford those hospitalizations and deaths. We know the comorbidities and age are predictive of worse outcomes with Delta. All right. And Dr. Gorfinkel, we've got news this afternoon that Elections Canada will not, not require workers to be vaccinated. This obviously is the first federal election to be held during a pandemic. Do you have any concerns about public safety when it comes to September 20th? I was quite frankly disappointed. I think that Canadians going to polls deserve to know that they're going to be facing people who are fully vaccinated. But then on the other hand, how do you pull together practically a quarter million workers in in the space of two weeks and ensure that they're all vaccinated. Consider that 62% of all Canadians have now been vaccinated. So if we're to use that as a, as a reason why someone can't get hired, it raises a whole hornet's nest. You know, my big concern is, will this become a barrier to voting? You know, how many people are going to look at that and say, well, if there's even a chance that I could get COVID, should I even cast my vote? And so if they're considering doing mail-in ballots, which are going to be available and which I fully encourage people to strongly consider, that itself becomes a, a barrier to voting. Why? Because you have to figure out how to get it. Then you have to do it. Then you have to cast it. And it's not easy for a lot of people to do those things. 
So it is a bit of a plus and minus. Like, what are you to do when you call an election that quickly? Personally, I wish I would have seen it rolled out a little more slowly to give us time to optimize things. To their credit, you know, they will be doing the physical distancing, wearing masks. In fact, masks are going to be distributed at polling booths. There's going to be transparent barriers to prevent people from coming in direct contact. You know, we hope that most of them are going to be in areas with high ceilings to prevent aerosol spread, but aerosol spread of the Delta variant is a known fact at this point. I don't think anyone's debating that. So, you know, what can I say? Wear the mask, there's going to be free hand sanitizer, free masks available, and we hope to absolutely minimize any barriers to voting because knowing that those people working are not necessarily all vaccinated. And, you know, that is something that we have been talking about since the election call and really keying on all this week, Dr. Gorfinkel. And that's the story that I don't think is being widely reported, but we'll find out what that does to voter turnout come September 20th, because you're absolutely right. It is a barrier, another potential barrier to uh, voting, this concern over a COVID and being at a polling station. And do they have to, uh, I don't know, do you think Elections Canada needs some sort of education campaign, some public service campaign where they can reassure voters that they will be safe and here are the precautions that have been put in place? Because there are so many different things to consider here, not the least of which, and again, we were espousing this earlier this week, is, you know, are you sharing a pencil with, uh, how, how many people are you sharing that pencil with to mark your ballot? Well, I'm glad you mentioned pencils. The pencils are single use and disposable. So that's another thing that they're doing. Not that that actually even matters all that much because it's not transmitted by pencils. There's no evidence to say that it's transmitted by pencils, but I think that's more of a showpiece than anything else. Oh, we'll give is you. Is that not sorry to interrupt? But surface contact? Would I not? Uh, should I not be concerned about that? That uh, you know, if somebody's had that, I know ten other people. Uh, and again, you mentioned they're single use, but uh, five or ten other people have had it in their hand. I use it, and then you know, touch my mouth or, or nose. Could I not potentially be exposed? The the potential for spread through what's called fomites or surfaces. It's long known. You no longer have to wipe down your groceries. If somebody hands you a pen or pencil, that's not what's going to transmit the disease. Yes, it has the virus on it. We know that it does have virus on it. Remember all that data that came out, this surface and that surface, how long the virus will survive. Well, it turns out that's simply not how the virus is transmitted. It's not transmitted by pencils or any other surfaces. It's transmitted by aerosols. There's community spread. It's transmitted by large droplets. You know, so by aerosols, I mean the kind of thing that, you know, a cigarette smoke would be hanging around. That's exactly how the Delta variant is transmitted. If you could smell cigarette smoke in an enclosed space, that's how it's transmitted. It's not transmitted through pencils. But what are they expecting? Let's let's turn for a second to the to the paper votes. And I would I would strongly advise people who have concern about potential exposure to COVID to look into voting by mail. It is phenomenal what's gonna happen in that space. So just turn the clock back a couple of years. Well, you know, what did we see? 50,000 votes cast like that. Now, what are they expecting? That will increase by 40 times. That's what they're expecting. That's what they're ready for. So doing the mail-in voting is is gonna hugely increase. Before we run out of time, can I ask you, too, about schools? Because traditionally, of course, uh, schools, elementary, high schools, 
they have been voting centers, but uh, we're talking about a return to class and a lot of parents on edge, or some parents anyways, about that uh, already come September. Do you think we should be using uh, schools who, you know, some were still concerned about uh, their ventilation and uh, HVAC systems, whether or not they're adequate and been updated. Should we be sending people to the polls in classrooms? Well, that's a huge question. And I think that has to be considered on an individual level. There's no question in my mind that just doing what we did in previous years is not a good idea because some of those polling booths were done in areas with poor HVAC systems, with with low ceilings, with very poor air circulation, potentially with no windows or windows that cannot be opened. So I think we need to carefully rethink that to ensure that it's the exact opposite of that that all polling booths have high ceilings when possible, have, get, you know, have air filtration systems that, are, that have been in, inspected, that the filtration systems, the filters have been changed, the HVAC systems, if they don't have one, which many don't, and it's not even possible to get it in, that at least single units are there to, to help with that. And that if we're using box fans and air conditioning units, that they're not pointed toward voters or workers, but they're pointed toward the ceiling so that that doesn't aid and abet aerosol spread of the novel coronavirus, the Delta variant. All right. Great information. Great conversation, as always, with Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. Dr. Gorfinkel, thanks, as always. Appreciate it. Many thanks, Jeff. All right. We'll talk again next week. There's vaccine researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel with us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.